0: You know, I was saving 90% of my salary, and it was because the schools give you so many benefits. I mean, in my school that I was at in India, you know, I had a four-bedroom, four-bath, beautiful place with marble floors.
1: Welcome to the FI Show. You get a behind the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back
2: to another episode of the Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Amy Minkley, who's going to showcase the power of geo arbitrage in Southeast Asia. But before we get into her story,
1: let me check in with my co host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, getting off of a week and weekend of a lot of little free things. You know, a lot of times people kind of hate on the W-2 jobs, but one nice thing is when you're getting to go out and eat at some really nice restaurants, get some cool experiences on the company dime. And so we just went to Las Vegas for a few days um, for like a leader's kickoff. So that was pretty fun. And then also living in a city like Austin means that there's always something going on and South by Southwest just kicked off. And so there's all kinds of cool events um, going on. Honestly, it's like hard to keep up with. Like I literally need some kind of crazy spreadsheet, but So one of the things we did was going down one of the free South by events where they had, you know, live music, food, all that sort of stuff, good artists. And it was all around the Austin FC uh, MLS team got kind of kickoff and people were winning like season tickets and that sort of thing. But just across the city, so many venues, so many free pop-ups, so many good artists, like, and then a lot of artists that I'm sure kind of like the next big thing that are doing these South by Southwest shows, but that's just another one of those things that, I think it's overlooked when we talk about higher cost of living cities is the fact that, you know, you're always going to be closer to an airport. People are going to want to come visit you. There's going to be free events. So there are things that offset the higher costs that come in the form of either a mortgage or rent. But that's what I did.
2: So I got to ask, I'm sure long time listeners will want to know,
1: is the house ready for Airbnb? And did you Airbnb <laughs> it out for this South by Southwest this year? Not quite. So it's like very, very, very close. Like it's, we're putting the finishing touches on. Are uh, we put the finishing touches on like from a decoration standpoint? We're putting the listing together, and it's extremely close. So no, we d- we did not get it on there for South by Southwest, but it's it's coming. We're we kind of like realized that there was a few things that still weren't quite ready, and we're just like, you know what? The grand scheme of things, the money's not going to change the world, and it's better to not start this thing off with some kind of bad reviews. So. <laughs> we're not quite there yet but we'll get there we're gonna get there soon fair enough yeah i'm looking forward to it
2: so for me i actually just flew into denver yesterday we're gonna be spending two weeks in winter park my shoulder is healing up nicely i bought a shoulder brace i'm gonna be really careful just riding down the greens and stuff and not doing anything crazy not doing jumps in the park not hitting boxes not hitting rails not going on woods trails just having a good old good old fashioned snowboarding day so Glad I was able to get to this point. I just have to be careful so I don't have an update next week about how I like re-hurt my shoulder. So that's the first thing. Second thing, finally got all my business taxes together. For those who are business owners, you know that tax day comes a little bit earlier, a month earlier for us on March 15th. So finally got all my business stuff squared away. And looking forward to St. Patrick's Day this weekend. Got some fun stuff planned. We actually have a pretty decent sized crew out here in Winter Park. A bunch of people flew in from the East Coast. So We have like this huge house, a bunch of people staying over. I think it's a total of 14 or 15 people. So we're going to have some huge St. Patrick's Day celebration. Might be wearing some crazy green costumes going on the mountain. But yeah, man, excited for these next couple of weeks of skiing. But that's enough about us, Justin. Let's talk about our guest for today, Amy Minkley. So... A lot of times, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you've definitely heard an episode or two or Justin and I have mentioned geo arbitrage, just the power of living somewhere cheaper, earning dollars somewhere else. That could be within the United States. You know, you could be earning money in uh, Boston or New York or LA and then living in like Ohio or Kansas or Arkansas or Mississippi. And there's just this huge gap between what you can earn and what you can spend. But you can take that a level further and do what Amy Minkley did. And you'll hear exactly how she did that in this story. She was an ESL teacher, which means English as a second language. And she slowly starts to build that savings rate up from like 30 to 50 to 80 to 90% for multiple years in a row. Because she's earning US dollars, she's living in super low cost of living areas, And when you put those two things together and you have someone who knows what they're doing, who understands personal finances, who kind of understands the tenets of financial independence and all the things we talk about on this podcast, it is truly amazing to see how fast Amy's money compounds and how quickly she's able to reach financial independence.
1: Yeah, I really loved Amy's story because it's got like elements of both things that a lot of people can really relate to. And then also things that are maybe not everyone has done. It's like fairly out there things like things that are kind of pushing the envelope where she's living, like you said, in these other countries. For years on end and getting these insane savings rates, but yet, you know, she didn't start some kind of crazy business. She did things that were really accessible to most of us as far as like a career path or, or a way of living. It's just most people don't actually pull the trigger. Most people end up staying kind of between the lines and living in a more typical fashion where, Maybe they're living closer to where all their family and friends are from. And they're, you know, they're in that same house for multiple years and the kind of the white picket fence story. So I think this is a cool story where it's nothing really out there as far as it's not something that anyone could recreate, but it is something out there in the, in the sense that she went out and made some decisions that most people never end up making. And it led to a really awesome outcome. In this episode, we'll also talk a lot about a retreat that Amy put together. Unfortunately, that one is sold out. But you can find all those links to kind of keep up with Amy and look for the next retreat that could be coming soon at thefishow.com slash minkley. That's FIShow.com slash m-i-n-k-l-e-y. Take it away, Amy.
0: Probably my most pivotal memory was when I was 12. I grew up in a house where we had plenty of money. My father was an attorney they had a happy marriage. And then my father left and found another woman and did the midlife crisis thing when I was 12. And suddenly, we didn't have much money. So he said he couldn't pay child support. And so my mom and I were really struggling. Yeah, she had to go back to college, we had to sell our family home, we had to move across to a new state. And so that was pretty traumatic for me. And because my father wasn't in the picture, my mother was needing some emotional support. And so I knew a lot of her money struggles. And so my experience at that age was money can be there, and then overnight, it can disappear. And from that, I really learned how to be a good saver. So it had a lot of blessings, but it also created some trauma too. I mean, I've since healed my relationship with my father. He's a wonderful man. He just went through a heart issue and went through some issues around that time. It was a blessing in some ways because I learned how to be a good saver. I learned how to buy my first car. I had to pay my way through college, pay my rent. There was quite a long period of time there where he wasn't providing financially. So it was a great experience for me. And it also caused me to be an excessive saver. So it also didn't (laughs) serve me in some ways too. I've held on to that scarcity mindset for a long time and I'm still working on clearing it and developing a more healthy relationship to money it did help me to save. And, you know, I got out of undergrad debt free paying for it myself. It took me five years and I paid for, you know, grad school too. I did have some debt from grad school, but I paid it off pretty quickly. So it served me in many, many ways. Learn how to save from an early age and have a little bit of a scarcity mindset. But now I'm trying to (laughs) develop a healthier relationship with money.
1: Yeah, I can certainly resonate with the scarcity mindset and understanding how that feels and, It is a blessing and a curse. It's a great superpower to get you started at a certain point in your journey. It's always tough, but it's generally kind of necessary to figure out how to overcome that. But I'm kind of curious, like going through all that when you're 12, getting a different frame mindset around money, what did that do for you thinking about like what you want to do with the rest of your life? Like, I know obviously you're only 12. And so maybe right Mm -hmm. at that moment, you're not starting to have those thoughts. But like, how does that start to influence the way you wanted to build your life? Like what you thought you were going to be, the lifestyle you thought you wanted to live?
0: Great question. I think for me, I always wanted financial security. And so, not at 12, but later, you know, I knew I loved teaching. And when I started teaching, and that was the direction I wanted to go, and I knew that teachers don't make much money in the US. So, I think that early childhood experience led me to think, you know, I do love teaching, but I don't want to teach in the US because it's hard going. People, really struggle and work summer jobs and, you know, side hustles to actually just pay their bills. And so I really did target, you know, how can I teach, but in a sustainable way where I can still have a great savings rate. And really, that was Asia, you know, even international schools in other parts of the world don't have the same savings rate as the really good international schools in Asia. And so that was part of what influenced me in my career choice. Again, I studied what I loved. And so I didn't totally go down like I want to find the job that pays me the most money. You know, I did study what I love, but then I targeted where do I want to go where I can still save with that career that I love. I think subconsciously, it did cause me to have a lack of trust in relationships and men for many years. And so I was single for a long time. And I had to kind of heal that relationship to know that, you know, what happened to me as a child? would not happen to me as an adult necessarily. I wasn't going to be walked, you know, I had the experience of feeling like I was abandoned or walked out on, but, you know, to develop a new relationship with men and trust that I could be in a happy relationship. So there was some conscious and also subconscious. Did you word it as choices, Justin, or how did you word it? You know, how did it affect my life? I can't remember exactly the way you worded it.
1: I was thinking about like, how did that kind of affect the outlook that you had and yeah, and maybe some of the choices that you would make and some of the expectations you were setting and kind of the, what you wanted to achieve. Like, you know, for some people it does do that where you want to like make sure I will never be in a bad financial standpoint again. And it does mm-hmm. take them down a path of like absolute money over everything. Some people that situation could obviously make them maybe uh, appreciate how quickly life can change and decide that they want to go down a path that's really like more fulfilling and not worried so much about money. People can kind of take that same situation, go two different ways with it. And I was just kind of curious which way that led you.
0: Yeah, it definitely led me to be a very good saver. I remember debating like going to the grocery store, choosing all the cheapest things, you know, thinking about, I mean, I lived in the cheapest apartments in university. I worked two jobs. I took five years. I worked the summers full time. In high school too, I was working two jobs. So I was a very motivated saver. And I went to a state school, which was also less expensive. So I was always trying to figure out how can I make things more affordable? And when I did my grad degree, you know, I lived in the student co-op. I mean, I was an RA in college. So all of those decisions were really, how can I save the most money and do this in the most affordable way? And then, you know, once I got out of school, like, how can I choose the job that will allow me to save the most money as well? So I think savings was definitely on my mind, and definitely this fear of it could disappear at any moment. So, how can I make sure I'm safe? You know, it's really about safety for me.
2: And so, just to put some numbers around these decisions so you had the choice of either staying domestic and teaching in the US. And as you just mentioned, Teachers don't get paid a lot in the U.S. It's really hard for a lot of teachers to have a really healthy savings rate. You choose to do this international teaching thing. What do the numbers look like from a revenue and an expenses standpoint from that decision?
0: Sure. Well, I first went abroad in 2001, right after I finished my bachelor's degree. And I went abroad to Japan and I wasn't working in an international school at that point. I was teaching for the Japanese government and Japanese high schools, which was so much fun super fun. But it wasn't the same savings rate. I mean, they did fly me over, they paid for my housing and all of that. And this was again, 2001. So it's a long time ago, I was saving only about 5000 a year there. So not great money. But it did allow me to kind of take a sabbatical year before I did my grad degree and travel around mostly India and Southeast Asia. And I was traveling very budget, <laughs> you know, staying for 90 rupees a night, which you can't find that now in India even though India is cheap, you know, I was, I was a budget traveler. And then I went back to get my grad degree and it allowed me to pay for a good chunk of my grad degree just doing that because I didn't really know about international schools. Initially, I thought, you know, maybe I'll teach ESL abroad for a little bit. And then with my grad degree, I was able to get into the international school. So I went to Singapore in 2007 and I was saving about 35000 a year there. I was there for six years till 2013. And then I went to an international school in New Delhi, India, and I was saving about 60000 a year there. And I was there for four years until 2017.
2: What are the revenue numbers there? So you're saving like 5000 then 35000 then 60000 Is that like out of 200000 or like out of 80000 no. Or what is the revenue number?
0: Good. Okay. You know, I was saving 90% of my salary. Wow. And it was because the schools give you so many benefits. I mean, in my school in, that I was at in India... You know, I had a four bedroom, four bath, beautiful place with marble floors, beautiful. And, you know, they actually paid me 10,000 extra dollars to live with someone, you know, because they're going to provide housing anyway. But if instead of providing two separate houses, they pay each of us 10,000 to live together. So I took that on, (laughs) you know, again, with that savings, rate, Like, how can I save more money? But, you know, they would pay me transportation costs, you know, to get there. Of course, I could fly me home every year, but then also daily transportation costs just to get to school. And, you know, it was very affordable to live in India. You know, I could have my roommate and I, we could have someone who came in and cooked and cleaned for us, did all the shopping. So people say, you lived in New Delhi for four years? How did you survive? And it was actually super (laughs) easy. You know, I had so much help and the campus was beautiful. And because they pay the transportation, they pay the housing, they, so much is covered. Really, I'm spending money on groceries and travel. And mostly I'm kind of savings focused and you know, I don't travel expensive luxury, but I definitely saved more than my coworkers, I would say, because I've got that savings mentality. I guess I was going to finish with just saying that I took two years sabbatical and then I went to Bangkok and I saved 90000 a year there, 90% mm-hmm. of my income there. It kept going up as I progressed through my career.
1: And kind of like stepping our way into it, like we've covered a big swath of time, but like kind of taking it, you know, there towards the beginning you graduate college, you go to Japan. 2001, right? 2001. So that's almost 22 years ago. Like the Facebook groups and the things like that probably didn't exist in 2001. So I'm trying to imagine like I'm fresh out of college. How in the world do I land a job working for the Japanese government and even understanding like what things I need to do to land that job in a world where Yes, like, I, you know, 2001, people had internet and that sort of thing, but it's very, very different than it is now. Like We have so much more information at our fingertips now than it was in 2001.
0: Yeah, I mean, my sister had taught abroad in Taiwan, ESL, and I don't think I would have even thought of it if it hadn't been for her. She's nine years older than me. You know, she was in college when my father left and all of that. So it's just really my mom and I at that time. But I used to get letters back from her when I was a young girl of her travels. It inspired me. I grew up in rural Texas where no one traveled, really. We might go down to Dallas nine hours away, but no further than that, you know, not really. So for me, it was planted as a child, that dream in my head to go abroad. And I found out about the JET program, which is an amazing program. It's the largest teach abroad program for ESL in the world. They have 7,000 or they used to have about 7,000 teachers a year from all English-speaking countries. So I had friends from Australia and New Zealand and You know, Jamaica and Singapore and, you know, all of the UK, of course, all of these countries from the first time. And we had a blast. It was the best decision I ever made. (laughs) I think because of my sister, it planted that seed in my head. And, you know, there wasn't Facebook groups, but I went on the internet and I found out about the JET program. And I had an offer in Taiwan. I love Taiwan too, but I just had such an amazing experience in Japan with the friends that I met that I'm really glad I went to Japan. And I love that country too. So it opened my whole world. And I really thought I would be abroad for a year or two because I'm so close to my family. My aunt said, you'll just be there one year and I stayed four. And then I found about international teaching. I'm like, I could do this forever. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, this is my life. I really envision that I'll always live abroad.
2: I just love the example that you're setting for young people out there. I think we do have a lot of younger listeners that listen to the show and that follow me and Justin on social media. Like if you could do this whether it's ESL or whether it's just like living somewhere else that's cheaper for like three, five years, and you can save, you know, $30,000, $50,000, $90,000 a year, you can kind of do like the whole Coast Fi thing where you just like save up this huge nest egg in your early 20s, do the travel stuff, work, make US rates, and then just invest the difference. So I'm curious in your own personal situation, Amy, where you like I know you mentioned you were saving like the five thousand, then the thirty five, then the seventy, then the ninety. Were you investing all this stuff at that time? Did you know about index funds? Did you know what investing was, or was this just sitting in a bank account somewhere?
0: Great question. Yeah, because my mom had such a feeling of panic around money once my father left. She really went down the rabbit hole of how do I educate myself, and you know, I kind of relied on my husband to be the financial head of the household. And I didn't really know anything about money was her perspective. And suddenly, she felt like I need to learn. And so I saw her as a young girl, or in my teens, ingesting all these financial books. And I remember I read a long time ago, girls just want to have funds was the name of the book (laughs) funds with a D. (laughs) And I read that book. And so I learned about a Roth IRA. And I invested in those, you know, when I was living in Japan. And so, yeah, seeing my mom go through that educational piece really taught me that I need to educate myself. I was doing target date funds back then. You know, I didn't really know what to do, but I'll just do an index fund, like a target date fund. And that's what I was doing at the time. And then there were some years, you know, when I was in grad school, when I wasn't investing, once I got the job again, I was focused on how can I save and invest it. But I was always doing low cost index funds. I didn't ever get into property and I wish I would have, but I didn't really know about how to do that from abroad and didn't really know the market in the US so much. And it's also complicated to invest abroad. At that time, I didn't have the knowledge to do that.
1: As you're getting more into this, you're talking about having friends from all these different countries around the world and you're getting more and more into personal finance, like educating yourself, trying to save. I don't even know if that's something that would have come up, but like, were you having conversations with people from other countries? Did you notice like a difference in maybe the culture around like saving or saving for retirement versus what you were used to seeing in the states we'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors today's sponsor is one i use on a daily
2: basis in my company gold city ventures that is the sound of a sale in your shopify store but did you know that shopify now also powers in-person selling shopify pos is your command center for your retail store or small business accept payments manage inventory they have everything Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience. And Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show.
0: Great question. I don't know that I discussed it that much with people. But My close friends I did, and I know some of my close friends I helped along the way. Like one of my great friends that you met, Justin, at Camp Fi. Um, Southwest Chelsea. I got her to invest in the Roth IRA and taught her about that. So some of my close friends I did talk to about investing, but other people from other countries, I don't know that we talked about it that much. I mean, to be honest, I think I was a secret saver and a little embarrassed. I am frugal. I think I had a little shame around that. So I kind of hid it a little bit, (laughs) right? Like I don't want people to think I'm cheap, right? So like, how can I be strategic and spend money in smart ways. And I had a lot of great, amazing adventures. I guess I would say, you know, when I lived in Singapore, one thing that kind of shocked me was that we made great money there. But how quickly actually a lot of other teachers didn't really save, you know, because it was all about living the high life, going out to the champagne brunches, you know, buying the Singapore is a very wealthy country. It's very much about like some people like the, the name brand bags, the name brand shoes. And so I was kind of like a little surprised, like coming from graduate school in Oregon, where everybody's a little bit more cost conscious, like to Singapore, where it's like, how can we, you know, live this like high life? Sometimes people would invite me to their champagne brunch. And I, I was too frugal to think, I don't want to spend $120 on one meal. So I did notice that. And those were people from different, you know, obviously, I worked with a lot of people from other English speaking countries in Singapore.
2: So, to kind of piggyback off Justin's question, it is kind of hard to do this whole fire thing without a community, in my opinion, anyway. Like, not many people are just saving $60,000 just because most people at least got introduced to the idea of like early retirement or financial independence or one of these things. How long were you kind of operating in a silo where you were just holding on to those frugal roots, saving as much as you possibly can before you were introduced to something like the financial independence movement? Or maybe it was Dave Ramsey, or I'm not sure exactly what your foray was into like a personal finance community.
0: A long time. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it felt really lonely. And that's why, you know, I'm so excited to create an event in my part of the world because there's nothing going on over here as far as that goes. I mean, there's small little meetups, you know, people get together, have a beer. But as far as a multi-day conference, there's nothing in Australia and Asia. So yeah, a long time. So I didn't discover the FIRE movement until 2019. And it was after taking two years off and living this dream life in Bali and getting scared again, like, I've spent all this money in two years. I haven't had any money going in. I need to go back to work and going back to work in Bangkok. And really being unhappy, even though I loved teaching in the past, like I had seen what my dream life looked like. And that's when I really went you know, down the internet rabbit hole, searching for like, how can I Create my dream life in Bali. We'll live where I want to live because there's not a good international school that pays well in Bali, and I don't really want to be tied to the school schedule anymore. And I had trouble balancing in that career. So, like, how can I have more time freedom? I felt kind of alone on the journey for a long time. Then I was just doing my thing and calculating every month my net worth. A little bit neurotic about it, like not in a healthy way. You know, I was on my spreadsheet. I was tracking everything. But it wasn't always a good thing either. So, you know, how can I now I'm trying to find out, like, how can I find balance between being financially responsible and also allowing myself to spend on things that bring me joy and not being so having that fear based story anymore was a life raft. It was like, thank goodness.
1: It's a super tough balance. I think a lot of people in this community struggle with. I mean, like it's again, it's a superpower when you're needing to accumulate But then when it's time to flip that switch to start enjoying and maybe flipping a switch is probably the wrong way of thinking about it. Like being able to do it along the way is obviously like I think what everybody strives to be. But a lot of people end up kind of doing the just pedal to the metal on the saving. And then it's all of a sudden you're expecting you're just going to be able to flip some switch and start enjoying it. And most people's brains just don't work that way. Like Once you've conditioned yourself for 10, 20 years to live a certain way and think a certain way, it's kind of hard to flip that switch and just to start enjoying it like it feels... Like it's not fun when you're spending money, even if it's on something fun, because all you're thinking about is your balance drop and you're not thinking about the fun thing that you're getting to do. So (laughs) I definitely really like empathize with what you're saying there. But as somebody who has lived across all these different countries, and I think some of those countries are ones that are like stereotypically a country people think about for like a geo arbitrage, like somewhere they could go and really make their dollar go a long way. Are there any like little sample stories or things you'd like to share With the listeners about like just how far their money could go in one of these countries, and like maybe a life that they're living that doesn't seem as exciting in, you know, a fringe metropolitan area in the Midwest where they could take that same salary that they're spending in Omaha and go to Bali and what that lifestyle difference could look like.
0: Yes, the lifestyle here, you know, I've traveled a lot and I love, you know, I try to geo arbitrage in a lot of different places and also. Traveled in South America, and Central America, and Europe a bit, but I feel like the lifestyle I can get in Asia is phenomenal. And so I absolutely love, in Bali in particular, and Thailand as well. I just got back from Thailand yesterday, but the lifestyle is outstanding. So, you know, I feel like it all depends on, you know, what you prioritize. Obviously, you can come here and you can spend $3,000 a month on a huge, plush, you know, massive villa that's multiple rooms. You know, I've got a nice villa, one bedroom, one bath with a shared pool, but there's only six people that share the pool, and it's four hundred a month you know and then my partner and I split that, so you know it's two hundred a month for my <laughs> portion, but it's got a bathtub, you know it's plenty for us, and we eat out in restaurants every day. we don't cook at all. we've got a kitchen here as well, <laughs> but there's just such good affordable food here. I'm going to yoga every day I mean you know so I'm spending about a day. And that is living my very, very best life. Going to yoga, eating out all the time, getting massages twice a week, you know, at least three hours a week. (laughs) But it's (laughs) affordable. Like it's so affordable. So it's Bali has so much to offer. And then I'm doing classes all the time, not only yoga, but I just love the personal and professional growth opportunities there are in Bali. And that's why this place is really dear to my heart. There's a lot of digital nomads and entrepreneurs here. So there is so much I can learn, both professionally and personally, more of an inner meditative journey, and then also an external journey, like how to grow a business or that kind of thing. So there's a lot of, you know, in addition to my cost, that's part of it is I'm spending money on personal and professional growth. But I'm doing everything I want for that $50 a day around 2000 a month price range. Wow. So even at $50
2: a day, I'm just curious, how are you currently funding this? Are you teaching ESL for a couple months? and Then you go back to somewhere like Bali. I know you mentioned they didn't have as high paying programs. Are you living off of your investments from those index funds that you were talking about earlier? What is funding this $2,000 per month luxurious lifestyle?
0: (laughs) Great question. Well, right (laughs) now, I'm partly living off my cash cushion because the market's down. So I don't want to draw on my investments at all. And I built enough of a cash cushion where I felt like when the market drops, I can live off that for several years. And I'm also supplementing my income by doing some online teaching. I mean, this is the power of the Phi community. I was in the US. My dad had a stroke. So I left Bangkok, went to the US to care for my dad. And I was in the US for almost a year, the longest I'd been in the US for a long time. And I went to six fire events in the US in that one year. I met Justin, which was awesome. And I met a lot of other amazing people. One of the campfires, my first one in California, I met a guy who hired me to coach kids with ADHD online. So I'm doing that right now. I taught a Chinese school during the Christmas break. Some Chinese kids who just want extra supplementary lessons when they're having a break (laughs) too. So I did a geography lesson from them. One of my friends put that together. So, you know, I'm finding ways to supplement my income. i feel like there are so many opportunities here because you're meeting so many other entrepreneurs. I've also started a service learning curriculum with another woman. So we built an online program that we sell to international schools to teach students how to do service well. Because there's curriculums for, you know, all the main subject areas but not for service. And then kids choose a project that they don't really feel passionate about. You know, they have to just tick a box to graduate to do this volunteer hours, but This is a really meaningful project that teaches them all the research about, you know, how to really get in touch with what they're passionate about and choose a project they really love and have success connecting with the community. So it's truly a reciprocal exchange. So that's something I feel really passionate about too. When I wouldn't have met her if I hadn't been in Bali and just meeting the caliber of people that I meet here. And I feel like that doesn't always happen in other places. I travel, sometimes I meet, you know, backpackers who are young and then there's nothing wrong with that. I was that person, but I love having meeting mentors here. I can meet people that really inspire me and that, you know, I could grow a business with.
1: When you're living in like a different country like this, I think about myself, you know, I have not lived international the way you have, but I've lived in other parts of the country, especially as an adult and as an adult who is working fully remote and an adult who's working for a remote who doesn't have kids. It's like it's increasingly hard like to find a community and to find friends. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious how you've built that and if you've been able to build that in Bali, like what that looks like to create a network of close friends, real world friends, you know, there in a country like that. Like is it just a melting pot of people? Like how did you find them, you know, if you have been able to build that group?
0: Yes. It's been honestly easy in Bali. And it isn't always the case. And so I think it's important for listeners to think about, you know, what do I want? Because some people really want to go somewhere very remote where they're only with locals. And that's an amazing experience. And I've done a lot of travel like that where I've gone to East Timor and there's not many other foreigners there. But if I'm there for a year or two, there's some cultural connection that I'm missing and some depth of conversations that I'm not able to have, even though I love connecting with locals as well. The Balinese people are beautiful people, so I love the local connection here as well. And I've got Balinese friends in Bali. I found it very easy to make friends because there are so many entrepreneurs, digital nomads here. They don't always do the things that the tourists do, and they're going to uh, different professional growth, personal growth opportunities. And in those classes, mostly I meet these people, and they're here long term. So I, you know, was living here from 2017 to 19, and I left and I came back again. And a lot of those people are still here. And they've been here for a long time. And they're all age ranges, which is exciting, too. I've got friends who are much younger than me and friends who are older than me, too. But they're doing really innovative things in the world. So I felt like it's been very easy here. And as far as other places I've gone, I, you know, sometimes mostly I've had a job. So I moved to Singapore, or Japan or India with a job, and then that made it much easier
2: definitely makes sense. So I'm guessing there are a lot of people a pretty decent subset that do move to a place for a job for example. But there's a lot of people who just work fully remote. They just have to get their stuff done and they're hearing this episode and they're like, "I want to move somewhere that's cool, that's a low cost of living area, but I also want this like sense of community. I want people that are like me. Are there any good communities, resources to find those places so you don't just end up I don't even know where in the world the place was that you just mentioned where there wasn't a lot of foreigners, but I'm sure there's a lot of places that have super low cost of living, but you're going to find yourself with not many other English speakers, maybe not many other people who share similar interests, values as you. Are there any good places to kind of check that box and make sure this place is somewhere I actually want to live before committing to that place?
0: I think it's important for listeners to think about what they want in a community even within Bali, there are certain places that you can go where you're going to find the people who are coming over and they're just having a huge party holiday. And they want to go out and party every night and drink and stay out. And that's their ideal holiday. And if that's what you're wanting, then, you know, I'd suggest that you go down to Kuta, for example, in Bali, right? And I used to do some of that stuff. I like to go to bed early now. (laughs) So it's not my life anymore. (laughs) You know, I'm interested in personal and professional growth. And so I live in Ubud in Bali, and that's really where the people that I'm interested in are living, you know, and that's where the community is formed around that. If listeners think about, you know, I really want to do surfing, and I really want to get into a surfing community, then I think if they research around the world, you know, digital nomad surfing, and then they can find those communities that will have the right mix of people that are similar to them, that will really nourish them. I think that that's the answer. I mean, there are places that I know, having lived abroad, that are similar to where I'm living now that I feel would be great places for me to consider as a home. I've tried some of those places out. You know, I went down to Mexico and tried it out for three months, a similar kind of community to Bali. And I found that my money didn't go as far there, but I enjoyed it. But I still kind of preferred Bali. You know, I've also tried out a community in Thailand that I love that also has a lot of personal professional growth opportunities there. I would say, you know, based on their interest to kind of research What kind of community they want to live in? Who lives there, and is that going to really nourish them? Is that going to be what they're looking for?
1: And now that you have started like kind of build your community there, and obviously you, you alluded to the retreat, the conference type thing that you started putting together, was it something that you started putting together because you realized that the community you started building in Bali had like this kind of thirst for material like that, or is it something where you imagine you're bringing mostly people? from other parts of the country because you want them to experience Bali or not other parts of the country, but other parts of the world, like out of country, because you want them to experience Bali. And it's kind of a good combo because Bali's low cost of living. Like what was going through your mind to help decide, you know what, this is the location where I want to do like a financial kind of retreat conference.
0: Yeah, I was in Bangkok and ingesting all of this fight when I discovered this financial independence community, ingesting all of this material, doing the deep dive And really thinking, this is what I'm lacking. It was during COVID, you know, so I was really feeling like this need for community at that time and realizing there's not much over here. The original intention was for the Asia Pacific region. So for Australians, there's a lot of expats working in Shanghai and Hong Kong and Singapore. And I would say that the FIRE concept hasn't caught on as much with Asians because there's a little bit of a cultural barrier it's just, it hasn't fully caught on as much. It is catching on. You know, I know some Filipino podcasters and the word is getting out there, but it's spread a little bit faster among more of the English speaking Western audience. So I was thinking more kind of initially like, you know, expats, but also Asians who are aware of it within this region and especially Australia, because, you know, they always come to Bali on their holidays and they love Bali. But then, you know, so many people that I've told about it in the U.S., they want to come to Bali. So this is what's cool. And I didn't anticipate is this is a uniting two communities or three communities or more that haven't ever met really, you know, or maybe they have a little bit. I feel like this will be a truly international event. You know, I've got friends in Dubai who are planning to come. I just had a woman buy, purchase from Singapore yesterday. So I'm super excited that it will be international. As far as Bali, a lot of my friends here are already fire. They've had successful corporate careers. They're building their own business just because they're very motivated people, but they don't necessarily (laughs) need to know necessarily the how of FI. They're more interested in the why of FI. So yeah, I'm sure there will be some people who are living here long term who will come. And I plan to have a Balinese speaker as well who's doing incredible things on the island. So volunteering and contributing. And so I want to have some of those conversations around the why of FI this conference has grown to, I think, be a truly international conference or retreat. So I'm excited about that.
2: So digging into the why versus how, so is the conference mostly going to be centered around like finding your purpose, like maybe building a life of passion during your working years instead of waiting until you hit fire and then like building this quote unquote dream life afterward? Or just what's kind of the general gist of the conference? It sounds like it's not like here's the best way to make more money with side hustles. This is the Mm -hmm. best way to like level up in your career and make more money. This is the best way to, you know, save on these really intricate expenses from a tactical point of view. It sounds like it's more of the why, like why are we doing this? But hoping you can kind of expand on that.
0: Yes, it will be a balance of both, you know, for sure. We won't get super into the weeds as far as U.S. tax codes or Roth IRAs or that kind of thing. It could happen in a breakout session. But the main speakers will not be talking about the nuts and bolts of u s investing because we've got an audience members from other places, but in the breakout sessions, there would be space for that for sure. but yes, we could i mean easily talk about side hustles, business building because you know even real estate you know there are some differences there, but I do believe that the principles are the same you know index fund investing the principles are the same the particular index fund that they invest in or the brokerage firm, that may be slightly different country by country. I feel like the how principles are very similar. So we will get into some of the how, and we will be talking about that. And I'm also very interested in the why. I feel like that is really what moves me personally is how can I give back more? What is my legacy? How do I really want to be intentional about my life? Because I feel like from my own perspective, I was so much focused on this scarcity deprivation mindset, like save, 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 save. And then, you know, really thinking about how can I loosen those reins around money mindset a little bit and give back more. Also my time as well, you know, give back as a contribution of my time. It'll be a big mix of both, but I am very interested in the why. I'm still meeting with speakers and figuring those pieces out. So it partly will be I'm choosing speakers to have a variety from different countries, different backgrounds and different topics that they're going to talk about so that we participants will get a variety when they're there.
1: And I think, you know, one thing we can do with some of the time we have left, obviously, at the end, we'll ask you for like some links and stuff where people can go like dive through it. But just kind of walking us through what this conference is going to look like. Like how many days are we talking? Like people are going to be staying in the same place. Like are there going to be other activities? Just give us the full rundown of what this event's going to look like.
0: Sure. I'm so excited. I mean, I love Bali and I cannot wait to welcome people here. I have a history of always kind of organizing events and gathering people together and met friends in Thailand and kind of loved showcasing Thailand to them. But I can't wait to bring people to Bali and showcase Bali. So yeah, it's five days. I've limited it to 40 people. So it's going to be an intimate group. We're really going to get to know each other during that time. We're going to be, you know, having probably five speakers. And we are going to be doing excursions as well. We're going to go see the rice paddies, do water temple blessings, have lunch with volcano views. We're going to go to some cultural dances in the evening. We're going to go to the monkey forest, you know, so we'll be doing some excursions and events during the retreat, which will be really fun because Bali is the place that really captured my heart. Like I didn't, really feel like I had a home until I landed in this place and really saw what it was like to live here. I visited a lot as a tourist, but once I moved here, and I really want to show that to listeners or participants who come, what a wonderful island and magical place it is. So it's a mix of both of financial education, but just a lot of community time. And what I found so valuable about these events is, you know, my time sitting at the pool and, Doing the fun activities that we did at Camp Fi, Justin, where we, you know, walked around and we went down to Wimberley downtown, remember that, and went down to the river. And I enjoyed those conversations because I learned a lot from the speakers, but I learned just as much from the other participants. I feel like participants are going to get a lot of value, not only from the speakers, but also from all the excursions that we do. And connecting with the Balinese people and the Balinese culture and the other participants on the course as well, and then I've got some post-retreat activities, so I, you know, that people can also stay on for. So I recommend if people want to come, that they come for as long as they can, <laughs> you know, not just a week <laughs> or two weeks, but a month. And some people are already signed up to do that. They've told me that I'm going to come for a month and really check it out and try on this geo arbitrage life. So after the retreat, you know, some people have to fly back to their home country and they've got jobs or whatever some people will leave but for those who can stay longer we're going to go down to the beach you know we're going to do some boat trips we're going to have some excursions as well post retreat so if people are flying from further away then they can feel like they're not just coming for the 5-day retreat that there's all these other activities they can enjoy and they can sink in with a smaller group you know in a deeper way after the retreat as well
2: Is there a certain type of person that you're hoping to attract with this retreat, is it those who are in the middle of their journey to phi? Those who are just getting started? Those who have already achieved phi? Is it for entrepreneurs and side hustlers only? Is it for those working in corporate jobs? Those interested in geo arbitrage? Just kind of curious, what mix of people are going to be there?
0: Great, I would love to have a variety of people. At this point, to be honest, transparent with you, I've sold 40% of tickets and most of the tickets have gone to Americans and that's because they know me. (laughs) So it's a little easier (laughs) to sell to people you know. And I would love to create a very diverse audience, you know, from all over the world. And for us to have those money conversations, well, what's it like in Dubai? And what's it like in Australia? And tell me about Singapore. That would be ultimately what I would hope for. And I think, you know, I've got some Australian podcasts lined up. And so I think that, you know, this is going to happen, but it just takes a little bit more time. But yeah, I think people are going to be in all different places on their financial journey. You know, just learning about FI to fully fired. Quite a few of the people who've bought tickets, you know, they're already retired. So they're coming over, they're young, and they want to travel. And so they're interested in that but I know we're going to get people more regionally who may have just discovered FI and people from the U.S. who are new to Phi too. So, you know, people fly on miles and once they get to Bali, I've tried to make the event very accessible for people so that it, it feels very affordable and the value is definitely there. So I feel we'll, we'll get people all through their financial journey and I really hope for diversity. What I'm really hoping for is people who are very supportive. I think I'm most interested in attracting a community that is really heart-based, that is really wanting to give to each other and learn from each other and support each other, which is what I found in the FI community in the US and the events I've attended, people sitting down with their spreadsheets with looking at my asset allocation, going through my numbers with me, just generously giving their time. And that's what I want to attract. You know, people who are willing to like talk and share and help each other like we rise together in this five journey by supporting and motivating each other.
1: Well, I mean, it's so cool to hear like how much passion you have for both Bali as a region, as well as this topic, as well as bringing together that community and knowing like how much it did for you and wanting to share that with other people. Like anytime we can bring somebody on who just has like a passion about whatever it is they're doing is just so refreshing. Cause I know how good that feels to find that passion. So I really appreciate it. And for people who are wanting to kind of follow along maybe go out and buy a ticket. Hint, hint. Obviously, you're only going to have 40 people. And I mean, we really hope that this isn't the only one, but you just never know. So, like people who want to buy a ticket, want to find out more information about this, want to find more information about you. like, What are some of the places they can go and just see that info?
0: Sure. They can go to www.buyfreedomretreats.com. And they can also look me up on Facebook, add me as a friend. I'm not on social media a lot, but you know, definitely they can find all the on the Facebook event page, you know, there's a lot of interest already there, a lot of discussion going on there. So they can kind of see other people that have already bought their tickets, and they have clicked um, that they're going. So those are great places to go. And I can send you those links to put in the show notes. Yes, and I'm very open, even on my contact page, people can book a 15 minute call with me if they want to ask, you know, like, okay, I want to go to Bali and then I'm thinking I want to go to Vietnam or, you know, they've got some other plans and they want to talk about travel with me. I've lived in the region a long time. I can, you know, help them think about some of those pieces as well. So they really get the most out of the, you know, if they use their miles to come over here or they want to know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a flight hacker. I've been a flight hacker for a long time. Or also, you know, booking with miles, those kind of strategic questions. You know, I'm happy to talk with people so they can go to the contact page of my website and they can book a call with me if they want some help with this piece. But I, I would encourage them to buy their tickets too soon. I've really mostly let the US audience know, but I'm spreading the word in the rest of the region over here. And I've already sold 40% of the tickets in two weeks. So I definitely know it's going to sell out. And I hope to repeat it again. But first, I just want to see how the first one. (laughs) goes. I'm excited for it.
2: Awesome. Well, we're excited too. And we just want to thank you for coming on and sharing some of your time. Like you said, there's some events in Europe, there's some in South America. I have not heard of any Phi FI fire events in Asia, in Australia, in that region. So I think you're doing an awesome thing. Can't wait to see how the first one turns out. And thank you again for coming on today, Amy.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Just want to acknowledge both of you guys for what you're doing in the world. It's so important to get you know financial literacy out in the world and i really appreciate your content i've loved listening to your podcast so thank you very much for your contribution
1: thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Fi show if you enjoyed this episode and want to support us the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts share this with a friend and also don't forget you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at the also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available. The very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's the slash spreadsheet.